You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to Across the Romaverse. This is episode 66. Uh, Jimmy and Brandon are, are with me again, as usual. Um, a couple, a little bit later than usual, two days after the loss to Venezia on Sunday. We're recording on Tuesday with the international break. It gives us a little bit more freedom in our, our recording times. No midweek matches or anything like that to worry about this week. So I'll just start by asking, guys, uh, it's now been about 48 hours, even more than 40 hours since we had that early Sunday kickoff. How are you feeling uh, these days? I know... You know, Brandon, you got big things going on. So I guess you you have some distractions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for the for the listeners in the middle of a move to DC. Um, but so that's that's kind of been my main focus. And you know, you would hope that Roma would be a nice distraction in between the stresses of planning all that. But of course, they have you wake up at 6 30 and uh end up losing to a relegation threatened side. So that's that's it's it's been a fun week, I will say. <laughs> Yeah, Jim, I hope uh, you didn't carry over any of the, the malice from the Venezia loss into any of your like your job applications or interviews or anything, because that probably wouldn't go over too well with uh, future employers. Yeah, unfortunately, right after the Venezia match, I had to spend the next like 36 hours doing like a assignment for one of these job things that I'm in the process for. So it wasn't exactly the best frame of mind to be in <laughs> after that loss. Uh, and, you know, just waking up. So for me, watching Roma, I'm on the East Coast of the United States. So for me, when I watch Roma, it's generally like a, I have, you know, like some coffee and just like sit and enjoy it, like in my apartment or my house and have a nice little time. Unfortunately, when the game was so poor and started so early, I was really tempted to switch to something other than coffee after about, you know, 60 minutes in. Uh, I didn't, I didn't break down, but that was, that was just such a disappointing match. Yeah. I mean, waking up, you know, a, a loss like that is disappointing to begin with. But the fact that it happened at 6.30 in the morning for the three of us on the East Coast, and I'm sure many of our listeners are also on the East Coast, at least, you know, our listeners like in the UK or in Europe can say it was at least late late morning or early afternoon for them. I mean, 
this was rough. I hope any of our West Coast listeners didn't wake up at 3.30 because that would have been uh, extra torturous or maybe just not going to bed the night before. But um, And if you didn't, hopefully you had a few drinks in you before you, know, you watched that one. But yeah, I mean, I, I had to make a joke out of it after, you know, I was painting my, my, my son is due in February, our first one. And uh, I was painting the bedroom on Sunday after the match because I was up so early and my wife picked out a, a light shade of like baby blue. And I had to make a joke and say I was appealing to the Calcio gods you know, for with the Lazio colors, you know, I'll sacrifice my son's like fandom to stop the torture of us because it, it was it was that bad on Sunday. So we'll get into that match and then we're going to talk a little bit about Jose Mourinho's comments because he's had plenty of things to say in recent weeks. Um, you know, so this match followed another 2-2 draw with Bodo. So, you know, combined 8-3 aggregate in two matches against Bodo, champions of Norway. So for anybody who undervalued that team, including all three of us really going into the first leg, uh, you know, they, they seem pretty legit or maybe Roma just doesn't like to play Norwegian sides because a 2-2 draw means Roma stays, I believe, second in the group. Uh, Conference League not looking as much of a breeze as we had thought it was, which led us into Sunday traveling to beautiful Venice, you know, a city everybody loves to visit, uh, but it wasn't very welcoming for Roma. You know, they went into the match. The main injury was Matias Vigna was out injured. Ricardo, Ricardo Calfiori, who we all suspected would have started in his place, was also ruled out injured um, in the press conference by Mourinho. Coupled that with Leonardo Spinazzola missing out on all the season so far, and Roma had no left back. Uh, also out was Chris Smalling, who's been out for a while. But in good news, Lorenzo Pellegrini returned to fitness. So a bit unexpectedly, because midweek we saw um, Ibanez line up as a true left back. In this match, Mourinho shifted to a 3-4-1-2 um, with Kumbula, Shimordov, and El Shirari entering the fray for Vina, Zaniola, and Mkhitaryan from the regular starters. Uh, did the 3-4-1-2 take you by surprise at all? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely thought it was a bit of a surprise because, you know, we've been getting four at the back pretty consistently throughout the entire season so far. And honestly, I, we didn't, I know that Calafiori, if he had played, probably wouldn't have fit as well in a 3-4-1-2 just because he's not as attacking-minded of a left-back. If there was a left-back that was going to be able to do it, uh, it was Vigna. Uh, so I guess that works to a certain extent. Uh, but at the same time, it almost the only person I could see it really like benefiting is Kumbula, who you know back when he was in Verona, uh, was playing in a three at the back defensive position and doing really well in it. And I think a lot of people could point to the fact that Roma switched from having three at the back to two at the back after he was signed as one of the reasons why he might not have, you know, gotten off to a blazing hot start uh, in Rome. So I, there was a benefit for him, but for pretty much everyone else, it was just such a change of pace. I was surprised. And, you know, if it had been against a bigger club I probably would have been more worried going in but at the same time you know we all know how that turned out anyway so <laughs> yeah yeah I think for me um I I don't know I, I like the formation change I think maybe against these smaller sides um it, it you know it, it'll pay off in the long run to be a little bit more offensive in the setup I, I you know the result is the result but um the, for, the formation tweak is something that people have been um, interested in for a little bit. So it was cool to see it in practice. Um, I think over time, maybe, um, you know, a little more familiarity with it and a little more um, luck going their way in terms of getting the final ball through. 
and um, maybe not hitting the post again, um, things like that. Um, I, I, I like this against the smaller teams. Um, and I think even defensively as they um, play in this formation a little bit more, um, we'll, we'll, we'll see it tighten up a little bit. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised to three, uh, see a 3-4-1-2, but it made sense with the personnel Mourinho had available. He played El Shirari on the left side more as like a left midfielder than a true uh, left wing back like a Spinazzolo would play. I mean, if Spinazzolo was available, this formation would make plenty of sense knowing his attributes and even Karsdorp's on the right. And I, I do think Jimmy made a good point about Kumbula being a beneficiary of it or at least suspected to be a beneficiary of it. Um, his performance left something to be desired, unfortunately, but it made sense because Ibanez, Mancini, and Kumbula have all played in three-man back lines at Atalanta, at Roma, at, at Verona. Um, Mkhitaryan, probably much-needed rest here and in, in being replaced by El Shirari, who had a goal on Thursday. Uh, Zaniolo, probably a much-needed rest. Uh, Shimordov got the start in the change of formation. And uh, we'll revisit the formation after the match, but just a brief recap since we're, you know, a couple days after the fact now. Um, you know, it, it started early and not just at 6.30 in the morning for us or 12.30 in Italy uh, around lunchtime, but the scoring started early. Venezia scored just three minutes in. Mattia Caldara got on front of a Brian Cristante. Uh, he got in front of Cristante on a cross on, from a free kick. It was his first goal since 2017 when he made a habit of being a defender who could score goals for Atalanta. So, I mean, what did you guys make of that start? I, uh, it, it was very fitting to just kind of glance up at your screen three minutes in, um, if you were distracted maybe and see that Roma had conceded and you're like, oh, great. I'm up this early and, uh, we're, we we're down a goal again, which is the big takeaway for me because we touched on it a little bit in the last pod, but this might be what the fourth, fifth, um, game in as many matches where Roma concede first and have to play, um, from behind. And it'll be very nice to see when the turn, when the tables turn with that. And, um, you know, we're able to, um, hold on to a lead and it really just, I feel like every time that we go down a goal, so especially as early as this, it kind of, the game plan kind of goes out the window and you're forced to, you know, play a pass that you might not otherwise play just in the, in the for the sake of um, trying to get the equalizer. So it's, um, you know, we have, we have the context of the result in mind. So, and um, I think that, yeah, once, once again, I don't know, once again, we just keep conceding um, very early in the first half and it's coming back to bite us. And I just, I'm just curious to see what this team will look like when we don't have that and we do score first um, and we can hold on for, to a lead. Yeah. I, I would also just add that I've always thought that Mattia Caldaro was like an interesting player. Um, he's one of those guys who, you know, got, was in the right youth Academy and then Juve got interested. So they, they bought him and sent him out on loan again and then Milan got him like he's been qu quite a journeyman, uh, but always at like the Serie A level. Um, and I've always thought that whenever I've seen him play that it's been like he's been an interesting center back. So the fact that he scored it, I mean, like if there was going to be like a Venezia uh, center back who was scoring, I'd be like, OK, that kind of fits. At the same time, it's just so disappointing that we can't seem to hold a consistent tactical approach on defense over the course of like a two week span at like, I, I don't know if that's 
about the quality of the side or if we're getting screwed over by referees giving us free kicks in terrible places or not um, doing, you know, not giving Roma a fair shake, which I think a lot of people both in the squad and elsewhere would say is happening with the refs right now. Um, but regardless of the why, it's a, so it's very frustrating to be in a position where we can have um, Cristante, Mancini, Ibanez, and most of Roma's defense put like star strikers in their back pocket for 90 minutes straight. Um, whether that's against Napoli, whether that's against um, Fiorentina, like they go up against some of the best strikers, not only in Italy, but in the, on the continent and make them non-factors. And then sometimes 180 seconds into a match, they allow like a center back who is good, but like he plays for Venezia and he's not really ever sniffed the national team. So it's not like he's great. Um, and they let him score. So the fact that this is such like an up and down season for a club that's already so up and down sometimes is definitely been frustrating to watch. Yeah, certainly been frustrating to watch. Like you mentioned, you know, they, they shut down players like Osiman in that Napoli game and then Caldado who, yeah, journeyman uh, a lot because of injury. I mean, the, the, the kid looked like a bright player, you know, f- four years ago, like the last time he scored a goal for Atalanta and he, there he is, he gets in front of Cristante uh, mostly on Cristante, that goal I take is Mancini was marking someone else, but he gets in between the two of them, gets the goal, and right away Roma's behind. And like Brandon said, the game plan kind of goes out the window. And then lo and behold, the referees become a you know factor in this match again. Seventh minute, Tammy Abraham brought down in the area by the left back for Venezia. Haps called a penalty, rightly called a penalty. It was a sloppy tackle, very unnecessary, but sloppy. And you know, we took it. We were like, okay, penalty, here it comes. Uh, but then that was called back for a marginal offsides on Pellegrini. I mean, he was running back toward the play away from goal and his like heel was offside. So tough luck for Roma there. Um, first half continues. It's still one, nothing Venezia. And then tell me if you've heard this one before Tammy Abraham hits the post in the 27th minute, followed up by El Sharari, whose shot was blocked. And then Vertu just skies the rebound over the bar ninth time hitting the post just in Serie A as a team, most in Serie A. So the frustration continued there. 35th minute, Okareki, who was the Venezia starting striker in this one, and he made himself a nuisance throughout the match. Uh, he just stormed down the pitch, brushed off Kumbala, and missed just wide. I mean, Roma was was like a foot away from being down 2-0, uh, you know, heading into the late in the first half. But then, lo and behold, Roma actually responded right before halftime. And, and in a strong way, they leveled it. Uh, Eldor tapped in a loose ball after Romero took uh, Tammy's header off of Pellegrini's toe. And, um, you know, the two strikers that Roma brought in um, in the summer for pretty good money, like I'd say about 65 or 70 million euros combined, they team up, they get the goal, and Roma's level at halftime 1-1. So what were your thoughts heading into halftime? I was, um, I felt very good about it, you know, especially with Tammy getting that second goal to put us up. I, I felt on the balance of play that in the second half, we were just going to blow them away. And um, throughout the entirety of the first half, up until the equalizer, I, you know, I felt that we were just on the precipice of getting that equalizer. And then when it came and then we so quickly got the second one, um, going into the half, I'm like, well, that's it. It's going to be five, one, four, one by the end of this. And, you know, we'll, we'll come to, we'll get into it a little bit as to how that ended up not being the case. But, um, despite the threat that they posed in the first half, I wasn't really very concerned about 
what the result was going to be just you know especially with how dominant um that second goal was I thought the momentum shifts complete shifted completely so but at that point I was feeling very comfortable yeah and I would just add that there was reason for optimism that was that's like backed in our experience with this side so far to start the season like this Roma has quite often gone down a goal and then just put the pedal to the metal scored a couple and won the game like when they win games often it's that way they have some mental screw up and it's like oh crap we actually have to win this and then they put together a string of goals that just get the three points done um so yeah i mean i definitely was optimistic too going in uh to the half uh it was really frustrating to see abraham hit the post again um just because man you gotta feel for him because it's obviously not i don't know it's some somebody in particular has been cursed by like a witch or something uh, for when it comes to Tammy Abraham, because nine in the league, I, I, I just can't believe that. Like, ugh, it's been so frustrating to watch that because I, our, our, our record would be so different if even half of those goals had gone in. And I don't think you can really train to fix hitting the post, right? Like there's, there's not really anything that Mourinho can do during training to say like, Hey, you keep hitting the post instead of getting it in the net, fix that. Like there's nothing he can say or do to fix that problem. So overall, I mean, like I was hope I was pretty optimistic going into the half, but also ah, just some really frustrating things in that first half, regardless. Yeah. And I should have described the Tammy goal before I went to you guys. I actually wrote down 47th minute. I should have written down 45 plus two. I kind of threw myself off there and, and Tammy scored a beautiful goal. I mean, he chested down an Eldor cross. He bodied the center back Checaroni and then just slotted it in to put Roma up 2-1 at the half, like you said, right before the whistle. And like Jim said, it's kind of like you figure, you know, they had the mental screw up and they're playing a lesser side and they woke up and like, oh, we actually have to, you know, show up today because Venezia is not going to roll over for us just because we're Roma. And, and they looked pretty good at the half. And the XG spoke to Roma being the, you know, more deserving side of the lead, I guess you could say. They, they had a 1.52 XG to a 0.96 for Venezia. So, the 2-1 score pretty much reflected that. It was a pretty action-packed first half based on all the, the chances. You know, Roma had 12 shots, six on target. Venezia, five, three on target. Pretty good for a first half. Um, just about 59% possession, 82% passive percentage. Pretty good stuff. But like you guys said, some frustration in mixed in. And it was interesting. I actually pulled out at halftime, Tammy had a quote to uh you know the official roma website whoever interviewed him they threw it up there on their twitter and he said we went behind but we didn't lose confidence in the second half us midfielders and strikers need to do more to help out our defense so it had me feeling pretty good they knew they had to work for it and hopefully they would do that you know track back do what they had to do defend the lead um and it looked like roma would actually increase that lead 48th minute there was a goal line clearance by haps uh on an ibanez header that was literally like half on the line half over the line it was a great clearance reviewed by the goal line check and it was a good clearance so roma just missed going up 3-1 um and then in the 65th minute the refereeing came to light yet again uh and again not in roma's favor uh there was a foul called on cristante um and in the process, Ibanez got a bit of an arm in the back from, I believe it was Aramu, the Romanian, who actually leveled the score from the penalty spot. I forget who Crisante actually kicked, but in the process, uh, there was a kick on an ankle kind of play. It was very similar, in my opinion, to the non-call of Kyer on 
Pellegrini. So what did you make of, of the penalty uh, this time around? I thought it was ridiculous that there's no consistency with this call. I know we talked about it a little bit, or, I mean, we talked about it at length um, on the last pod, but there's no consistency with these calls. And um, I don't want to be that guy that talks about uh, Premier League teams on a, a Italian soccer podcast, but it, it really is like a throwback to when um, in the Champions League, when City got screwed over on that one call against either Tottenham or Ajax. And then the following year, they got screwed on like the changing of the rule against you know, whatever, whichever one of those two teams wasn't the first time around. And this is the same exact thing last week. Um, you know, we got, well, I mean, in, in the league, you know, you had, you had the inner U of a match where a similar play resulted in the PK, then we didn't get it. And now it gets called against us again. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's, it would, um, you can argue that maybe there's a conspiracy against Roma. And when these things continue to happen, it's like, it, like what do we have to do to get one of these calls go our way yeah and i would just add that no no sports team thinks that the rest do them favors like i'm confident that like juventus fans pre calciopoli did not think that the refs were doing them favors on a consistent basis because like the refs are almost the enemy for any sports team regardless of sport um everywhere uh given that it's been really frustrating, especially this season, to see that there really doesn't seem to be a consistent rule book going on for so many of these calls, not only like, especially in Serie A and people are noticing and it's not even just against Roma. There are times, and I'll be honest though, I brought this up last podcast, but Milan seems to benefit a lot from these on a regular basis. Um, and you keep on seeing different refs having totally different definitions of what a penalty should be or shouldn't be, regardless of whether they look at VAR or not. And that's really frustrating as a fan because when there are things like, I don't know, just to, I'm trying to think of a goal that I wouldn't have an issue with. Like, I, I don't have an issue with Caldara scoring in the third minute of this match. Like, that's a goal. There was a free kick. They took advantage move on but when it's obvious like that penalty in particular just took so much of the wind out of Roma's sails like an hour and change into the match and referees really need Italian referees really need to start recognizing how much influence they have over a game and also over individual players like I've brought up before that I think that one of the reasons why Zaniolo hasn't been hitting goals as much as one might've expected post-injury is because I don't think that the refs are giving them a fair shake. And I think that more broadly speaking with the club, I do think that's happening too, that just as much as, you know, the club, the hat club has nine uh, times like hit the post. There are also a lot of instances where there should be fouls called for Roma or again, or against the um, other side that just aren't getting called. And this was one of the more, explicit versions of this being a PK that just shouldn't have happened. Yeah. It's the consistency, consistency or lack thereof that drives me crazy. You know, seeing the call uh, against Dumfries on Sandro without the Pellegrini incident, this call probably makes sense. But when you throw the Pellegrini Kyer incident in the middle and that one isn't called, it just, there, there's no consistency. And then, you know, the argument could have even been made about the push in the back of Ibanez that let the ball get through to the, the player that was fouled by Crisante. 
So I'm not going to harp on the penalty because we've discussed this at length. And if, if I go on, I can go on forever about the lack of consistency. Like it, it, it's just maddening. And, you know, it did throw Rum off their game because you're at one point you're defending a two, one lead. Now all of a sudden it's two, two, and you kind of have to change strategy again, because you're no longer defending lead. Now you need to find a goal. Um, and we saw some changes made by Mourinho. He brought on Carlos Perez for Max Kambula to, to go a little more offensive. Um, you know, Tammy had a chance. I was stopped by Romero just a couple of minutes after the penalty. Um, but then seven minutes later in the 74th minute, Okareke made himself a nuisance again. And this time he killed Roma by beating the offside trap, put Verona back up three, two with just 15 minutes to play. And you're like, Oh boy, here we go. Um, you know, and then Mourinho makes some more changes. 77th minute Zaniolo comes on for El Shirari, Myra and Zaluski come on for Eldor and Karzarp. He's throwing everybody on. And it leaves some some holes in the back because, you know, now you're throwing everybody forward to try to get that tying goal and maybe even a winning goal eventually. Um, and Rui Patricio came up huge on back-to-back corner kicks in the 84th minute. Uh, really, really good saves to keep Roma within one. Uh, Roma had a fury of late chances, uh, but, you know, that flurry never really came off with anything, you know, particularly good block shots, shots off target uh, as Venezia dug in. And there was even one counterattack where, um, Henri, who wears number 14, like Thierry Henry, not quite Thierry Henry, but he almost had a Thierry Henry esque goal as he volleyed uh, across that actually smashed off the crossbar. Roma almost fell behind 4 2. I mean, it was uh, interesting uh, to say the least at the end. It could have been even more than, than 3 2, could have been 4 5 2 if it wasn't for the crossbar and Patricio. So, you know, some quick second half reactions, and, and then we'll, we're going to get into some other talking points. Yeah, I would just say that credit to Patricio because he he did have some go- he's had some goofs in the past week or two. Um, that Milan free kick that Zlatan scored off of is the biggest goof that I've seen from him probably so far since he signed for Roma, and it wasn't enough to win the match. But those huge saves that you mentioned late in the game, if the game was tied or if you know we didn't keep on hitting the crossbar. Um, It would have been crucial. And if if we had won, I think that a lot of people would probably point to him be having a man of the match performance. Uh, As for the fact that Roma could have lost by more. Yeah, man, I know you don't have to tell me that. It makes me even more upset (laughs) anyway. Yeah. I think for me uh, at that, you know, at that point where that, that 90th minute chance happened, it, the result, you know, was the writing was on the wall and it just became kind of hilarious that we're going through this again, where we're uh, about to lose to this bottom of the table club. So I actually kind of wanted him to make it just to like, you know, uh, create further chaos. And, uh, but in terms of, you know, the second half as a whole, um, you know, we already talked about it, but the, the penalty really, really changed the dynamic of the game. And as you were talking about um, Stephen, you know, it's two, two, and then you have to you have to go back on the front foot when you mentally are probably content to sit back and um, soak up the pressure and hit them on the counter. And now you have to go back on the front foot, whereas they're already in attack mode. So um, slotting into counter attack mode as Roma are pushing forward is probably not too much of a tall task for them. So it was really disappointing to see the, you know, the dynamic of the change, the game dynamic of the game change based on the penalty, but at the same time, um, a combination of being poor defensively and being unlucky offensively is kind of what sunk us in the second half. In addition to that, um, that P- that PK call. 
Yeah, so we're going to go to a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back to discuss some of the numbers from this match and some of Mourinho's comments. All right, and we're back. Uh, so first thing I want to talk about is some of the numbers, because I, I was going through some of the stats on FB Reference after the match, and what uh, some things will jump out. And I, I think when you compare them to some of the other matches, this overall performance, there were some good things to take out of it, but there were also some, some ugly things to take out of it. So I want to start by just reading this pre-match uh, press conference quote from Reno because he was asked going into the match, are you content with the way Roma are playing right now? And related to that, the forwards are all working hard but aren't scoring. What's your verdict on that? So this is what Mourinho said. He said, if you compare the number of goals scored and the chances we've created, then there is a disparity there. There are teams that are far less active going forward who don't create much, but they are creating one opportunity and scoring one goal or creating three and scoring two. Right now, we are not struggling to create chances, but to turn those chances into goals. That's true. However, I would be much more worried if we weren't creating anything, if we weren't able to dominate matches. In some games, things could have gone differently. And if the day comes when we finished off all the chances we create, maybe we'll have a really big win. But for now, we need to be a bit patient and calm about it all. And, you know, I I think when he's referring to like scoring one goal on one chance is like Juventus, the match against Juve, we created way more than them. Uh, Even the Lazio match, we created plenty of chances. The Napoli match, we created chances. And, you know, things just haven't been coming off for Roma. And I know Bren is working on a PC we've been working on for a, a few days now about Roma shooting. And, you know, because they are creating plenty of chances, getting plenty of shots, but just not scoring many goals. Um, so I'm curious to see what he, you know, comes up with in his piece there. But, um, you know, speaking to what Mourinho was talking about, guys, I looked after the match. The XG for Roma in this one was 3.5. That was their highest in any Serie A match this season. Uh, so I guess he has a point here, doesn't he? Yeah, it's um, it's funny. Mourinho has this uh, label of being Mr. Park the Bus himself. And here we are being one of the most offensive teams in the league. I saw a statistic that I forget um, what measure it was, but we're in the top three of either like chances created or shots or, or something, something along those lines, um, which is not what people expect from Mourinho led side. So um, it's also, and, you know, going, going, speaking to his quote itself, um, it's um, the, it's kind of, um, you know, flipping the script a little bit from his previous comments where he kind of um, picks a handful of players and brings them through the mud. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of why I don't really, I'm not really upset about the result. Obviously this is three points that, you know, we desperately needed and um, you have to beat these teams, but at the same time we are creating and I am still a firm believer in um, the flip, the, the switch flipping at some point for this team. So, um, you know, if, if, if results like this continue, obviously that will, turn into pessimism um, as likely out of that happening. But when you achieve your highest XG of the season in a loss, it kind of um, hints that the, the, the switch is going to flip at some point. Yeah. And I would just add that back at the beginning of the season, when everything seemed like it was clicking and everyone was saying, Oh, wow. Mourinho might be able to get Roma the Scudetto in the first season in Rome, which I mean, I never really thought was going to happen, but it's a nice thing to think about. Um, you know, uh, the reason why it was happening was because our offense was potent. Um, I mean, Abraham, Shomurodov, when they came in and in the first couple of weeks of play, it was like, oh, wow, this is like a 
breath of fresh air compared to the way that our offense was functioning last season. So it's obvious that the potential for offensive brilliance is there. And I would just add that, you know, that XG kind of just confirms it, that there's like, they're creating chances. They're just not translating into goals yet. And I agree with Brandon that if, if this keeps on going, it's going to do a number on my blood pressure, first of all, but second of all, it's just like really frustrating to watch. And I hope that the switch flips. Um, I think it will. It's a question of when I keep on saying that the next match is going to be the match, but like looking at Roma's schedule for the, after the, the break, what we've got is, I think we've got, yeah, we've got Genoa with a new coach. Then we've got Zoria Luhansk. Then we've got Torino. Then we've got Bologna. If there's a moment for things to start clicking, I would argue that it's probably after the international break. Um, particularly because I, as far as I remember, a lot of the players who you might expect to start really like banging them in sooner rather than later, like Nicolo Zaniolo or Lorenzo Pellegrini or even Tammy Abraham are, I have been pulled out of their national team commitment. So Zaniolo and Pellegrini are not going to be playing with the Azzurri for the next two weeks, which for right now I'm fine with. Um, I know that Felix also got pulled away from Ghana because they said that they want him to just focus on training for the club at the moment, which I think is a fair thing to say. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that if these guys are able to flip the switch once, I wouldn't be surprised if that switch just keeps, the, if the offensive firepower just keeps humming along for at least like a month or two after that. Uh, so I've got reasons for optimism, but I'm very aware that another couple weeks of poor performance will get me very upset. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the fact that Tammy and Shamordov both scored is encouraging. Uh, creating 3.5 expected goals is encouraging. Uh, the, the one negative for Roma, though, of course, is they only scored two, and that negative 1.5 of goals minus expected goals was their, their worst of the season. Um, the only other match that was close was Juve. They, they were expected to create 1.4 goals and, and got shut out. So um, a little bit different context type of match that it was much less open match. So you know, when, when you look at that, you know, Roma is creating the chances like Mourinho was saying, but when you start to look at some of the other numbers, the 2.6 expected goals for Venezia was the worst that Roma's given up all season. So, you know, they left a lot of holes in, in, in their d- defense. Uh, that is a bit concerning, especially against a side. And the reason this concerns me is most is they weren't playing Milan giving up uh, 2.6 expected goals. They weren't playing Lazio or Napoli or one of these big sides it's a side that can really attack they were playing Venezia who heading into the match had scored eight total goals in 11 matches less than a goal a match and they gave up three to Venezia so to me that was the most concerning point because yeah the, the offense showed you know some some signs of life and then I mean 2.6 expected goals to a team that's given up or, or scored eight and then puts in three on you. I mean, that's got to be a bit of concern, no? Yeah, and I would argue that what we've figured out so far about Roma's defense is that when the first team defense, like the first first team defense, is cohesive and there, that it might be one of the best defenses in Serie A. But the problem is that right after that, there just is no depth. Or there's depth with potential, but not depth at the level that Mancini and Ibanez in particular are. And I think part of that might be that even when you have Vigna and Karsdor playing as nominally defensive players, 
they really rely on Ibanez and Mancini to get it going defensively. Um, so if those two center backs have a good defensive day, it translates to Karsdorp and Vigna both not having to care as much about their defense and also being able to kind of handle the smaller load that they're being given. Uh, so I would say that I'm still really confident. Like, I think that when it comes to center back pairings, this is like that Mancini Banya's pairing, in my opinion, is probably just as good, if not better than the, like the last one I can think of that would be comparable would be like Benatia and Castan um, going back. Like, and they're young too. Like Benatia and Castan were much older than either Mancini or Ibanez is. Um, so I still have hope for Kambola long-term. I know that he hasn't really necessarily been putting in a lot of good performances this season, but you could also say that about a lot of players in the squad period. When, if we're just like looking at them statistically and out of, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's just based off of the fact that Mourinho had such little depth, um, at center back that Kumbula was the first one to come back into the fold out of the exiles for, from the first Bodo match. I, I don't think that's coincidental. I think that out of those four or five guys, he's got by far the most potential to actually turn into like either a starting quality cal caliber player for Roma or more. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Um, but I do think a lot of this comes down to the fact that defensively everything hinges on Mancini and Ibanez. And if one of them doesn't play or one of them doesn't play well, then everything kind of falls apart and back. Yeah, I think for me, um, the defensive struggles and the, and the conversations about the depth issues really highlight just how useless that Mkhitaryan goal was at the end of last season to get us into the Conference League. And I feel like, um, you know, if we didn't have the strains of playing in the Conference League in these midweek matches every couple of weeks or so, that um, maybe, you know, we wouldn't have some of these injury issues that pop up, you know, with, with cars or, um, or Vino, especially if it's muscle related, that, that, that kind of speaks to um, the, the volume of games that they're playing, especially, you know, with, with people like Vino with their international commitments as well. So for me, that is always like what comes to mind first is just like, what would this season be looking like right now? If we also, if we didn't have those commitments as well, um, in terms of you know the 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 players themselves, though, I think I, I agree with what Jimmy was saying, and I think that um, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm very confident in Mancini and Abanez overall, and um, we talked about it a little earlier when we when we play against some of these top strikers, they're they can be dominant, they can shut them down. Um, so that's when it really starts to get tricky when we have these depth issues because you know they're so capable of putting in great shifts and then you know the little niggles here and there um kind of lessen their effectiveness and um and that's when we have to start having these conversations but yeah so for me it's kind of like um you know on their day I know that they can be right up there with the best of them in the league um but it's um, I'm hoping come the winter Mercato, we get some reinforcements in because I think having uh, more reliable players on the bench because, you know, we have Smalling, but you can't really rely on him because he's constantly injured. Um, so having um, some more reliable options, I think might be, do wonders for the whole squad overall. 
Yeah, it, it, the defense was a problem the other day. You know, we talked about it. Kambula got brushed off by Okareke on a, on a play he just missed. You know, we can't rely on Smalling. If he's in that match, maybe things go a little bit differently playing with this three-man back line because I think the three-man back line against a squad like this should be plenty to hold up, you know, against a team that's only scored eight goals. And it allows Roma to create so much because Roma, you know, offensively created a lot. I mean, I'm looking at some of their numbers. They had 19 key passes as a team. Uh, only match they had more was 20 against the Laranitan in a match where they scored four goals, you know, 67 progressive passes blew away any, you know, number of progressive passes, um, that they, they had in any other match, which is 10 yards or more, you know, in the, like attacking 60% of the pitch. So, you know, those numbers were good, you know, passes into the final third, um, uh, passes into the opponent's penalty area was their highest with 22. So they did a great job of, of getting balls in dangerous positions, didn't finish all their chances, which speaks to why they had a very high number of, um, you know, XG, uh, their, their shot creation was, was very good. Uh, I mean, you know, 41 shot creating actions also tied with this learning time match for the most shot creating actions in a match. Um, but I also have to give Venezia some credit because I'm looking at, you know, the way Venezia defended. And when you look at the defensive actions of opposing sides against Roma, this match, Venezia had a couple of numbers jumped out at me as I was going through quick 30 clearances, which was the second most in a match. Only Venezia had more in Venezia, uh, rather Verona was defending, you know, really hard to keep us out from tying that match. And they had 26 interceptions, Venezia, which blew away any number of interceptions that, um, you know, a, an opponent had against Roma in the match. So I think the three, four, one, two, uh, really opened us up offensively to create, but I think on the flip side, it also opened us up where we became vulnerable to the Venezia counterattack, which maybe Roma underestimated. I mean, I know I did looking at a team that had scored eight goals in 11 matches. I was like, Oh, we should be able to defend this team. No problem. So when I saw the three, four, one, two, I thought we'd have no problem defending it. Um, but that wasn't the case. You know, we had issues. And um, some of those issues were exploited. And one thing that really stood out to me that I did not like with it, we talked about the defenses. I thought Gianluca Mancini felt like he had like carte blanche to push up whenever he wanted in this match. And it left those spaces for Kumbula to get stuck in one-on-one with Okareke, who had much better pace than him. And he seemed a bit reckless in this one going forward. I don't know if you noticed those things, if there are other things you liked or disliked in this match or anything else that jumped out at you in terms of formation. Um, I didn't notice that, but I guess it kind of like speaks maybe to that that arrogance that some players might have against the smaller sides where, you know, I mean, I'm sure we've all played in, in, in rec leagues or competitively where you're either on a team or you're the team that's completely overmatched. And you can tell like when they're kind of just, you know, uh, t- that arrogance comes out and they're kind of doing whatever. And maybe that's a part of it. Um, Oh man, genius. And I know this is just speculation on my part, but um, it's, it's, um, but at the same time, you know, Kambula is getting burned. So why are you pushing forward so reckless, recklessly sometimes? Um, with the formation though, like we, like, like we talked about in the beginning, um, I like it in theory against the smaller teams. Obviously, this result didn't go our way, but I think with a little bit, uh, more familiarity, maybe some different personnel. Smalling, as you mentioned, for example, if he, if he's ever fit, maybe that it goes differently that way. Um, I, I I think it has potential to be something that we can utilize in games like this. But you also have to respect your opponent and not leave so many spaces open. Yeah, I definitely agree about respecting your opponent. That seems like a theme 
sometimes with Roma in general. I mean, not even Mourinho's Roma, just Roma period. I think that a lot of players when they sign for Roma think that they've made it in one way or another because, you know, Roma obviously is a big club. It's typically like in the top 15 or so of, you know, fan support worldwide. And so as a result, when a player signs for us, they definitely think that they've made it, which is reasonable. Um, but at the same time, I think that the, that does create a sense of complacency against smaller sides, whether that's in Europe or against like the minnows in the Copa or Serie A. And I don't really know how to respond to that, just like I don't necessarily know how to respond to Roma's injury issues over the past couple of years. Uh, one thing I would say is that I would be very interested to see what Calafiori looks like in the 3421. Uh, I mentioned before that I thought one of the issues with how Roma went about their business uh, in this match was that I felt like there was not enough defensive integrity with the center backs. And when, the, when our center backs aren't at, on their A, A game, things kind of fall apart because the fullbacks can't necessarily be depended on in the defense as much as they can be in the offense. And so I think transitioning, like allowing for Calafiori to play in this formation might be an interesting idea just because I think it was Steve who did the uh, analysis of Vina's play already and said, oh, actually he's way more offensive than you might think. Um, that we had kind of been framing him as a much less offensive player than Spinazzola. And that, that wasn't necessarily true. But from my personal experience of watching Calafiori play, I can tell you that I think Calafiori is a bit more defensive of a player. And perhaps that's what you need to make the 3-4-2-1 work. At least one of these fullbacks playing more defensively and you know not just leaving a younger center back who still has growing pains to get through high and dry. Uh, the one last thing I would say in defense of Kumbula, who I, I agree did not play well uh, in this match, is that I think that maybe how well Ibanez and uh, Marquinhos did very early in their Roma careers and at a young age has kind of blinded us to the, the reality that center backs in particular take a long time to become like good center backs, like top level center backs. Like it's really the exception that proves the rule when like a Marquinhos comes around, like so many center backs become superstars in their mid twenties at the earliest. And so I'm not going to like give up the ghost on Kumbola just yet, but I do think that pairing him with more defensive minded fullbacks might be the way to go. If you're trying to maintain defensive integrity while also having rotation, which this side obviously needs and will continue to need going forward. Yeah, hopefully Kambuli, you know, he's still young. We have to remember he's 21 years old or whatever he is. And uh, hopefully Mourinho doesn't lose faith in him too soon because, you know, we, we invested in him and there, the, I, the upside still seems pretty high in him. It just, he's going to need to to get it together a little bit and hopefully find his way a bit because you this was the kind of match you'd expect that he would have been able to handle the opponent um, and not be overwhelmed. But it's same, same against Bodo and both of those matches is when he really got into trouble. Two, two opponents you would figure that are, you know, not top tier that he can, you know, match up with and, and maybe build some confidence. So uh, we'll see going forward because he did get his, you know, back into the good graces of Mourinho. So has Myral, it seems he was complimented in the pre-match press conference. VR still seems hit or miss in the comments. You know, Mourinho said after the Bodo match, he liked what VR did on the ball, not so much off the ball, which speaks to the lack of defensive integrity, which is probably why we did not see VR at all uh, in this one. 
Um, so let's talk about Mourinho because he had plenty to say after the match. So let's go through his comments a bit because I'm trying to, you know, get, you know, he says a lot of the same stuff sometimes about the roster, about the referees. And I'm trying to figure out if he's just, you know, doing a bit too much whining or if there's some like sage wisdom in what he's saying because he's been around the block quite a few times. So uh, I'll, I'll start with his first comment. You know, the journalist said to him, lots of shots today for Roma, more than Venezia. So did the lack, the side lack that cutting edge you had asked for before the game in what we had talked about in that pre-match press conference comment. And he said, it's difficult to talk about cutting edge. A key part of the story of this game was our attacking play. We created lots of chances and lots of what, what I call half openings where you get into a really dangerous area, but then aren't able to make that final pass that will lead to a goal. It was really easy for us to get into dangerous positions. Karsdorp got into those areas 20 times or more, and so did El Shirari. And then we had plenty of options in central areas, two forwards with good movement, two attacking midfielders in Pellegrini and Veratu, who are always in support. So part of the story of this game is our attacking play. It's hard to explain how, with so many attacks, we were only able to score two goals. The second part of the story of the game, a smaller part, are the second and third goals for them because the first came from a set piece. Yesterday, we worked on that sort of scenario and we got it wrong today. The third goal came from a poor judgment of an offside trap, and then we were not able to find a solution. Then there's another part, a small part, but I think a key part of the game, Venezia's second goal. I need to be careful, so I'll keep my thoughts to myself because I don't want to say what I think is happening. So... (laughs) Um, you know, speaking to his first part, we kind of talked about the offense, you know, Pellegrini had great numbers in this match, eight key passes, uh, a bunch of shot creating actions. El Shirari had some key passes. Uh, Tammy had seven shots, two on target, also hit a post, scored a goal. Shamorodov scored a goal. So those comments I can get behind, you know, I think the attack was a bit unlucky. They created plenty. Um, you know, he admits they made a mistake on, on the set piece. He admits the offside trap didn't come off well on the third goal, but then there's that comment about, Venezia's second goal, which he kind of remains nameless in, in what he falls for it. But I, I find it funny that he says, I need to be careful. So I'll keep my thoughts to myself because I don't want to say what I think is happening. So what do you make of, of that comment? You could unpack the whole comment or focus on part of it. What do you make of that? Well, first off, I love the remix of the, uh, I prefer not to speak uh, quote from him. Um, it's always fun when he, he does a little throwback like that. But overall, I mean, I kind of agree with his comments. I think like as you were talking about with his comments about the attack in this um in this question, like that's that's pretty spot on. We talked about it. Um, we think that uh, switch will flip at some point, hopefully. As this as as for the second part of it, I recognize that it's probably annoying for many um, a fan to constantly hear him complain about the penalties, but it did affect. It completely changed the game. So it's like, yes, you you could potentially not keep bringing this up and have this uh what was me attitude but at the same time he's not wrong so it's like I don't know it's it's kind of, I think it's probably more of like a personal preference in terms of whether or not you think he should be making these comments I lean more towards like the honesty but then at that point you also can't be like I'm really mad about this PK but I can't tell you because I don't want to get fined or suspended um if you're gonna go in go all the way in um but yeah I mean I, I did I did really like that he touched on the first goal because this like I'm glad that it's something that he, that he said that they actively worked on because in, this is not the first game where they've conceded the goal off a of free kick and um, I, I think when it actually happened I was like do they do they train do they work on this in training because this is like the second or third time in as many games that they've let up a goal like this so 
you know, him coming out and saying we 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 worked on it, but we just got it wrong. I I think that was um I enjoy I I like that comment and um and then yeah the the, the th his comment on the third goal, honest, poor judgment, offside trap. Yeah, that's what it was. So yeah, I think overall, like I'm fine with this one. I just think you know it's it's kind of a little silly to like tease what you really want to say and then not say it. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that last part that it's kind of silly to basically say something but then not say it. But at the same time, I have a feeling that after that last suspension that Mourinho got, uh, as much as the club is seeming to support him 100% still, he probably got at least like a little bit of a nudge from uh, either Thiago Pinto or uh, the Freakin saying like, hey, you're not on the hot seat at all, but please don't get yourself suspended again um because it really hurt oh it only hurts the club like when he when he as much as I agree and would say that like yeah a lot of this is pretty screwed up and I think that Roma's getting messed with by the refs collectively uh it won't help things to not have Mourinho on the touchline uh so I would say that it's frustrating but that's basically all he can say as for uh you know Karsdorp and El Sharawi, I, I like that he's, you know, supporting his players, but I would argue that most of the time he's not really like he he's been backing up most of these players most of the time. Uh, like there's like, sure, he exiled those five guys, uh, Mayoral, VR, Diawara, Kumbola and Reynolds. But outside of those five guys, he's done a pretty good job of defending pretty much every player who consistently plays. And does he complain about not having depth? Yeah. But also we complain about Roma not having depth on a regular basis. So, I mean, like a lot of the complaints that he makes in interviews are complaints that I make on this podcast. And <laughs> as a result, I can't complain him. I can't complain too much about him making those same statements. The only difference is that I really don't want him to get fined or suspended for a match. So I, I do wish he could bite his tongue a little bit more. Yeah, and I, I, I guess it's him kind of going about it and like, you know, saying it without saying it away. So the, uh, the journalist actually followed up and he goes, I suppose you're referring to the officials. And he goes, for the second goal, we can talk about players that should be getting yellow cards for tactical fouls, but those are little details. Of course, I can also say that we had a lot of chances to make it 3-1 with El Shirari's chance being the best of those. But the reality is we were up 2-1 with the game under control. And then that happens. I don't want to say more than that. I would just like to say that you are talking about a really important moment in the game. That's it. I mean, I have to agree. I, I think, you know, he's probably under a little bit of pressure not to say too much. I'm sure he would love to just keep railing on about it. You, you know, I just wonder how many times can you talk about it before the officials get tired of it? The league gets tired of it. And they're like, well, you know, you're not doing yourself any favors with us. So why should we, you know, stop calling matches the way we've been calling it? Um, but, you know, not many, not many managers can get away with what he's saying, in my opinion, you know, because he, he's got that reputation that he can kind of back it up. You know, if this was the other way around and it had happened to Venezia and Zanetti has to talk about it, people probably brush that aside because those small clubs don't get the respect and those younger managers don't get the respect. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see to me if, if things keep happening, if he keeps railing on about the referees or if, you know, he doesn't. So, you know, it, it, it's interesting, but, um, Moving past the referees, the next question said, have the club or pundits got it wrong, suggesting this squad is capable of finishing the top four, or have you not been able to find the best balance for the team? 
And he simply said, you have your opinion and I have mine. So I'll ask you guys your opinion. Is this team still capable of finishing top four? Yeah, I think they're capable. Um, you know, before, before the Venezia game, we were, we were in fourth place and, um, and you, you, the, the Venezia game is something that you would normally expect to win. Um, um, had we done so, we would still be in fourth place and going into the, we had another international break in the top four. So we're right there. It's not like we're, you know, in a, in a relegation battle right now and we're talking about rebounding to get into the Champions League spots. No, we're, we're, we're sixth place. We're two or three points behind um, the teams up in front of us. Um, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, two points behind Lazio in fifth and then three behind Atalanta in fourth. So we're right there. I think, I really do think our luck is going to turn at some point. And so when we do finally go on one of these runs, um, we'll probably climb back into the top four and then we'll have to sweat out another rough patch probably. And, um, you know, as the cycle goes as a, as a Roma fan, but um, yeah, I think it's, it's been a hard month, but it's been a very difficult schedule as well. I think the, the conference league, games really kind of skewed the outlook on the season as a whole, just because you have a hyper embarrassing loss in the first leg against Bodo, and then you can't even beat them in the second leg when you play your A team. Um, so I think, you know, those, those two games kind of really uh, put the pressure on the team to turn it around, but I think we're right there in the, at least in the league, you know, we're, we're, um, we're performing at a level that you could expect things to turn around and turn around quickly at a point. And as Jimmy was mentioning earlier, the next few games after the international break are probably the perfect to do so leading up to the intermatch. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's easy to say that Roma will finish six because we're six right now, but I don't think based on how we've played and um, you know, we, the, it's not like the other teams in the top four won't drop points along the way. So even being in a rough patch, we're right there, and I don't see any reason why we won't be at the end of the season. Yeah, I, I would just say that most of the teams in the top six, or even the teams that you know we think of as like the six 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 sisters in you know Italian football, haven't necessarily been that impressive on a consistent basis to start the season. Uh, Juve is where Juve is, uh, and I mean, I've definitely seen poor matches from basically every major club so far. Uh, and, you know, despite a lot of this poor form, as Brandon mentioned, we're, we're just three points out of fourth place right now, which after the month that we had, that's, I, I'll take that. Um, and, you know, I think that if Rome is able to bring in the right pieces um, in January, which I think is possible based off of the rumors I've been seeing, it seems like we're being linked to the right players. Um if they're able to do that, I'm pretty confident that top four is reachable, is reachable this year. Um, I, that was my goal from day one of the season. Uh, when we were playing better, I was hoping that, you know, we could get third or second place. Uh, I don't think that that's entirely likely, but, you know, stranger things have happened. I still think that top four is a reasonable goal. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, top four is certainly still a reasonable goal, in my opinion. Am I a little less confident than I was, say, at the beginning of October or even a couple of weeks ago after, you know, hard fought loss to Juve and a hard fought draw with Napoli? Sure. You know, it, it, this dents the confidence a bit, but I think, you know, there's no reason to say that they can't fight for top four. And the journalist followed up. This was Giancarlo Marocchi of Sky Sport. And he didn't even follow up with a question. He just said to Mourinho, I think this is this team is probably in line to finish about six. 
and that drew quite the lengthy, uh, I don't, I don't want to say tirade, but you know, uh, response from Mourinho, pretty, pretty strong response. He said, as a coach, the opinion I always have is that you need to impart a bit of ambition and motivation to the squad you have, not just for the players, but for myself too. So saying that top four is a target to fight for does not necessarily mean the squad is a top four squad. I never said that we are worthy of the top four, but I will continue to say up until the point that is mathematically impossible that the top four is the target we are fighting for. But for a few reasons, we have finished sixth and seventh in the last few seasons. Well, the business we did this summer, in my opinion, in the opinion of us internally, was business done reacting to events with the aim of strengthening the squad where we had to. I don't think this squad is better than last season. We lost experienced players and useful squad players. For example, today, the two fullbacks in the bench were Filippo Trippi and Brian Reynolds. The first has come from the Primavera, while the other has played, what, two or three games in Serie A? Today, Bruno Perez or Juan Jesus would have been useful. You know, take that in for a second. Uh, the transfer window was a reactive one, and I absolutely uh, part. Of, I was absolutely a part of that. Although the, the club and the general manager Tiago Pinto, because we had to react. The goalkeeper was a planned move. I made that request for the left back because we lost Pinasola to injury. We had to react, and that was the same for Tammy Abraham after Edin Dzeko went. The other players are from last season. I don't think this season is one for us to be aiming at targets in the league. For me as a coach, within, with three years to work on things here, this could be a season of growing pains, but also a really, really important season to understand some of the things I had no way of knowing before I got here. I already understand more than I did two or three months ago. In terms of bringing a new balance to Roma, squads need to build a model and style of play. And when you have a group where there are not two similar players in each position, then even as a coach, you have to be very reactive. Today, for example, beyond the fact we did really well in the attacking phase, certainly well enough to win, we had difficulty adding anything from the bench. Karsdorp was injured and had a yellow card. Look at Inter. If Darmian gets a yellow card or finds himself in difficulty, then Dumfries can come on. If Kyer gets a booking or an injury for AC Milan, then Romagnoli can come on. I, make, I can make a thousand similar examples. We still need to build our squad, but nevertheless, until it is mathematically impossible, our aim will be to fight for those top four positions. The target is not uh, the same as your potential. As for the individual episodes in these games, maybe one day I'll fully understand because there are always things that with time get uncovered. So maybe one day I'll understand. So I have to, t- I have to chuckle at the last part. I-, I think we'll break this part, this comment down. I'll ask you guys a couple of questions um, and we'll, we'll, we'll circle back around. But first, you know, I, I like what he says about having ambition and motivation because I think every squad has to have that, even if maybe Romo's roster, he does not feel is the fourth best. But when he starts talking about the roster, he mentions that Juan Jesus and Bruno Perez could have been useful today. Let's just start right there. No squad that I root for should ever have to rely on Bruno Perez and Juan Jesus um, <laughs> in the times of a crisis. That's how you know that you are down bad as a team. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. So I guess like just look, just, you know, taking this comment apart. I, I also like that first part about, you know, the ambition. And um, I think it's fair his point about, um, you know, the, the makeup of the squad and not having, um, you know, the pieces um, to play the system that he wants, because really this team is a combination of three different sporting directors, three or four different sporting directors. And so, as he said, yeah, this is going to take some growing pains, but um, also poor Brian Reynolds. It seems like every time this man gets in front of a microphone, he makes it his mission to single out (laughs) Brian and kind of put him down. So Brian's probably wondering what 
is going on here but um yeah it's it's yeah i think and then you know obviously the the last part is hilarious because we all know what he's hinting out there yeah it's with with brian reynolds it's kind of like uh the dave Chappelle sketch uh the player haters ball where the guy just keeps on like finding new ways to to diss him in the press conferences which is sad because i'm going to be honest when i've seen him play i've been like okay that's a pretty it's pretty solid for a, a 20 year old full, fullback you I mean he's not Weston McKenney just yet, but like give, give him some chance, give him a chance, man. Anyway, beyond that, I mean, a lot of this I agree with. Uh, I would say that I do not agree with the idea that Juan Jesus or Bruno Perez would be helping us at all. Um, I don't think that they would help like what my MLS club, like the New England Revolution, at all right now. They're just kind of bums as players, and we don't need to be paying bums as much as we were playing, paying Juan Jesus in particular. I, his salary was always just insane to me. Like, someone got bribed to make that happen. <laughs> um, but anyway, I would say that it does make sense that some of the transfer market was reactive. Um, I mean, I don't, I still want to find out what happened with Jaco, why he decided to move on when he did. And I'm grateful for Abraham, and I think I am enjoying a season with Abraham more than I would have with Jago up front, but still, I'm so curious about what happened there. And I do wonder also what would Roma have done if Spinazzola hadn't gotten that Achilles tear um, because Roma wasn't afraid to spend money this summer at all, but he's right that a lot of this was in response to other things happening. And so I wonder if, if we end up signing like Zakaria from uh, Germany, uh, if that's the type of transfer we would have made during the summer if we hadn't had to spend money on Vina or something along those lines. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess we'll see, but I'll, I, I understand what he's saying about not having very much depth. I've heard this particular complaint a lot now though. So like maybe, maybe just like try, the, the goal should switch away from like dissing uh, Brian Reynolds with like yo mama jokes next week to like, I don't know, maybe helping him become the backup right back that we need him to be like, that's like, maybe this is just part of the special one special plan to like turn Brian Reynolds into the best fullback in Europe. But if I was him and I was like basically a kid and getting my name like dragged every single week being like, look at my backup right back. He sucks or he's not ready yet. Like that wouldn't really help me too much with like my long-term career goals and like make me think that like I'm worth worthy of like eventually being a consistent starter for Roma. Yeah. I, I mean, poor Brian Reynolds. I mean, the, the kid has come here. Yeah. As he had a couple of little rough spells in some of the matches he was in, especially this year for Mourinho, I know he got some flack. The one match he came in, I forget who was against, but he didn't defend something well. And, you know, he kind of got pointed out but in this comment if you want to say some of your, your two fullbacks you say I have two young fullbacks that are very inexperienced or something why like I, I don't know why do you have to call him out by name we know Filippo Trippi just came from the Primavera and I agree uh, uh, with what you said about the, the Mercato being reactive would have been very interesting to see if Spinatola wasn't injured is the money spent in the midfield does that make our, our squad better but you know I also had to I want to ask you guys because he said I don't think this squad is better than last season we lost experienced players and useful players yeah, okay, Jekko left and a couple other players left, but look what Roma brought in in, in terms of Tammy Abraham, Shamoradoff, um, those players, even Vigna and Patricio seem to give us, you know, some more quality. So 
do you think they're they're really not better than last season? That's a trick. That's a tough question. I think I don't know of the of those players you listed, and we can throw Vina in there too. Um, you know, it's it's fifty fifty with people who are, you know, if you have your everybody healthy and strongest eleven, only only Abraham and Patricio are going to be in your starting eleven. Um, so yeah, it's. I don't know. I, I, I get the comments. I don't, I don't particularly think that they're necessary. I think maybe they're done in an attempt to downplay expectations just because of how desperate this city is for this team to, you know, finally get back to the champions league or at least compete on some level. So I think if I had a guess, I would um, venture to say that it's probably a tactic to downplay expectations, but we get it at this point, like you don't rate half your squad and um, yeah, I mean, yeah. So I think, I don't, I would say over, I think we're better set up for the future than we were last season, but I think as of right now, we're probably on the same level in terms of quality. Um, And that's, that's evidenced by, um, I think, I think at this time last year with Fonseca at the helm, we were, we were five points, um better off at this point in the season than now so um and you know with with injuries to um to Veritu and uh, Mkhitaryan in the spring that's kind of when the wheels fell off so um but at, at, at that point we were we were we were you know in the conversation for top four which we are right now so I guess you know yeah we aren't really that better but I think we are better positioned for the future than we were um this time last year yeah, I would just add that I think that Fonseca's side last season, and I think Fonseca gets a lot more stick than he deserves, to be clear. But I think Fonseca's last season, you could argue that before the injuries hit, was almost overachieving, given the squad. Whereas I think that, and given like his ability as a coach, like I think that we were doing as well or better than we could have done. Um, and the fact that the side wasn't able to like band together when injuries happened is kind of indicative of that, that things just fell apart at the moment Veritu got injured. Whereas with Mourinho's side, like we've talked about how unlucky this side has been with hitting the post, with penalties being kind of weird, like a lot of things going on that makes it feel like this side is strongly underachieving, not underperforming necessarily, but underachieving, if that makes sense. Uh, so whereas I think that last year's squad probably would have maxed out at like fifth place, fourth place. If everything had gone exactly right. I think that if this, if everything goes exactly right with them, with this Mourinho side right now, I could see, I could see them being way more comfortably in fourth place right now. And I can see them like getting back up to that very quickly in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I mean, I find it hard to, to say that last year's squad was any better from a roster standpoint. I mean, you even look at the guys that were were sold off that didn't even really play a part last season because they were out on loan elsewhere. I mean, Chengi Zunder, does he help the squad right now? Juan Jesus, apparently Mourinho thinks he helps. I don't know. Uh, Edin Dzeko, do you, do you really want him instead of Tammy Abraham right now? I mean, maybe an argument could be made to keep Florenzi around because he could have deputized that right back and filled some other positions, but Clearly, there was an understanding between him and the club that it wasn't working out anymore, uh, even with a new manager. Paulo Lopez, I mean, you know, Patricio seems like an upgrade there. Um, Justin Cloyvert, I mean, if if Mourinho wanted any of these guys to stay around, he could have he could have kept him around. So, 
I don't know if that's him just trying to buy himself and the, and the squad time saying, you know what, last year's squad was even better. Look, they finished seventh. Um, but I, I don't buy that comment as much at, at the very minimum. I'd have to say this is a, you know, pretty even Steven in terms of like squad quality. Maybe there's a little less depth because they trimmed the fat off the roster, but that was something we knew needed to be done. And, and Pinto knew needed to be done and, and he did it. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see how it ends. And, you know, like uh, I believe as Brandon said that he keeps making the same reference to, you know, if Darmian gets the yellow card, then Dumfries can come in for Inter. And if, you know, Kyer Romagnoli, and he made the comments about Juve and other matches and Napoli. And yeah, we know these teams have more depth. We know, we understand, but what are you doing about what the roster you have is what I really want to see from Mourinho because, it, you know, I didn't see a, a game plan. I didn't see a clear game plan on Sunday with the players he had out there. So, if, you know, you're the special one and you decide to play a 3-4-1-2, you should have a plan for that 3-4-1-2 to at least defend better. You know, yeah, they created plenty. We can compliment them the way they played, but it almost seems like he's making some excuses for himself in, in the fact that he is kind of bringing down some of his squad here. Um, and then at the end, of course, he has to throw in what we talked about. We all laughed about as for the individual episodes in these games, maybe one day I'll fully understand. I mean, because there are always things with me, with, with time that get uncovered. So maybe one day I'll understand. So it's almost like he's pointing out a conspiracy theory against Roma, Calciopoli 2.0 or something, uh, that we're magically going to uncover a couple seasons from now and Roma's going to magically be awarded the Scudetto or something. But, um, all joking aside, Brandon pointed out that this team does have five less points than, uh, the Fonseca side last year, which is not something I would have expected about a month ago. I mean, if we go back to the, the we break this season that we've had so far into two halves, you know, pre-October international break and post, let me just read off some of the results. We started in the conference league, Tres, uh, win at Tresbon Sport 2-1, 3-1 win over Fiorentina at home to open the league calendar, beat Tresbon Sport 3-0 at home, beat Salernitana 4-0, beat Sassuolo in a tight 1-2-1 with a late winner. Crush Seska Sofia 5-1 after falling behind early. Uh, lose to Verona in mid-September. First loss 3-2. Tough match. Um, you know, Farioni Matt wonder goal to, to steal that win for Verona. Get a tough win against Udinese. And then lose to Lazio, but bounce back with wins against Zori and Empoli. International break comes. You know, Roma in pretty good shape. Two losses, yes. Two tough losses, but both 3-2. Um, neither game where they dominate or anything. Then the international break comes. And listen to Roma's results post-international break. Uh, right after, one nothing loss to Juve. 6-1 thrashing by Bodo Glimt up in Norway. 0-0 against Napoli. Squeak by against Caliati 2-1 late uh, over on the island in a midweek match. Lose to Milan 2-1. Draw Bodo 2-2 and now lose to Venezia 3-2. So I'll ask you guys this. Is this an accumulation of things, you know, just now that the calendar's been so congested that maybe fatigue and injuries are starting to unravel the side is the side that we saw those first six or seven matches the real Roma is this the real Roma what do you what do you make of it yeah I guess I would first say that it's confirmation that Roberto Mancini still prefers Lazio to Roma <laughs> he's, he's he's got something to do with this I'm pretty confident but uh more seriously I would say that there's a reason why Mourinho doesn't like the international break because Roma's players are good enough that pretty much all of them if they're fit are going to get called up We've gotten to the point where even Vertu has been getting call-ups for the French national team in the midfield. And that's kind of a testament to how good he's been considering how stacked that midfield is. Um, and just more broadly speaking, they're not getting a break. It's not a break. It's they're training pretty hard with a t with basically at a different club for two weeks and then they come back. 
And so it's kind of natural that injuries hop, pop up or, you know, Mkhitaryan in particular starts looking really old after the international break. And that's because his country basically depends on him if they want to get anything other than a loss out of a match. He's by far their best player. He's like their best player ever, without a doubt. And so they need him to be at 100%. So I do wonder, going into this international break, if we're going to actually see positive results afterwards because of what I've mentioned already, that Pellegrini and Zaniolo won't be playing with their team. Um, that I don't, I, Mkhitaryan's probably playing, but I hope that if the club was comfortable saying to Ghana about Felix, hey, let him just train with the club for a bit, they can at least talk to the Armenian national team head coach and say, hey, don't run Mkhitaryan into the ground or he's going to get injured. Um, and kind of similar with a lot of the other players who are on the national team level. I hope that they maybe try to talk to the coaches and say, hey, we know that our players want caps. We know that they want to represent our country, their country and be proud of it. But it really does hurt their club and their career if they're just running to the ground over the international break. Yeah, I think for me, you know, to, to answer the question, whether which, which, which is the real Roma, the one pre-international break or the one that um, capitulated in October, I think somewhere in the middle, um, probably. I think October was just a brutal, brutal, brutal stretch with those games against the big teams. So not only do you have to deal with these midweek fixtures going to Norway, hosting Bodo, um, you know, it's even the midweek match against Gagari, um, you have to, that's, that's still a game every three days, despite it being in the league. So I think, you know, that just that brutal stretch of games combined with ha really having to face your demons and um, go against uh, big clubs three, three times in the span of, um, in the span of a month. Um, I think that all boiled to a head and we are where we are right now. And I think maybe to some extent, there's some carryover from that into the Venezia game because they have, it's not like they went into the Venezia game on a winning run. They have been kind of hammered um, in terms of the results. So, you know, maybe in the, in the back of their head, they're, they're um, trying to overcompensate for that and um, leave themselves a little more susceptible than they otherwise would be against a team of Venezia's caliber. Um and um, I, was, I was looking at the table earlier um, before we got on, and I, I saw that we have five losses in the league thus far already. And it's, it's crazy because you think maybe back to like the, the Spalletti days where we had our most points total. And um, back then, maybe we had seven losses in a season or something crazy like that. So to already be at five and we're not even in where, you know, we just got into November is kind of crazy. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, the five losses, because uh, Gazeta dello Sport actually published a, a short piece today comparing the uh, average points per match uh, through 12 matches for Roma, which right now the 19 points puts them at an average of 1.583 uh, points per match, so just over a point and a half per match. Uh, that is actually the worst that Roma's had in seven years, worse than Garcia, Spalletti, Di Francesco, Ranieri, uh, Fonseca, and even Andrea Zoli back when he was the manager. So besides being just the worst in the last seven years, they, you, they're throwing in some managers that were here even longer ago. Um, so, you know, so they said the numbers without doubt are uh, not reflected good on Mourinho, even in, in Europe compared to last season in the Europa League through four matches, we had 10 points. Right now we have seven um, uh, in the conference league and Bodo, you know, is in, is in first place in the, in the group. And last year, we kind of rolled through the group in the, the Europa league. 
Um, in the in the league last year, Roma scored 27 goals. This year, it's up at 21. Uh, last year, they gave up 14. This year, they've given up 15 through the same number of matches. So even the you know the plus minus the goal differential is uh, heavily favored toward last season at plus 13 versus a plus six right now. So uh, I mean I I mean maybe Mourinho knew these numbers after that match and he's trying to cover for himself a little bit because the numbers aren't aren't fitting to Roma. I do agree though with Brandon that I think the real Roma is somewhere in the middle. Um, because the, the schedule was much tougher in October. When you look at the actual team drama played, it, it's much more understandable why you wouldn't have as good of a record coming out of those matches as the first set of matches. And I think the Venezia match, I think you're right. I think it could have just been everything came to a head in that Venezia match after a very tough schedule. Um, I, I still can't explain Bodo, especially, you know, over two legs, losing a three reserves or not playing in the first match that I don't know. Um, one last question I'll ask you guys before we, we kind of wrap up here. It's just something that popped into my head as we were talking about this. And I was reading this about the, the conference league versus the Europa league. I know last year I was watching that last Roma match and I never root for Roma to lose a match, but when they were playing that last match of the season last year and they got the winner, uh, Mkhitaryan scored the winner. I was, I was actually disappointed because I was kind of like, you know what, maybe Mourinho will get a clean slate. He'll only have to, feature in the league he'll have plenty of time to game plan we know he's a master tactician when he has the time you know we saw the way they game plans Napoli um and some of those matches and you know the fatigue we knew would be an issue we didn't know that the roster would even be cut down as much as it has so does part of you pride aside because falling out of the conference league would be an utter disaster for Roma but if we could you know shield Roma from the hailstorm of, of shit that Mourinho and the club would get for co- crashing out of the conference league, would you gladly say, you know, let's scrap the conference league. Let's give Mourinho from, I guess, December, whatever the last group stage matches free reign in the league Copa Italia match here and there. And let's, let's go for, for fourth place. Or would you rather stay in the conference league because you find it could be useful or maybe it'll just create too much of a mess for Mourinho and the club if they fall out of it. Yeah. I, I want us to keep going in the ECL. I get what you're saying about how not having Europe could have been an advanced an advantage for this season. I would counter that. I don't think that we would have kept, we would have been a true supermarket this summer. I think if we had no Europe uh, just on a financial level, I don't think it was feasible, would have been feasible to bring in a player of Abraham's talent level. Um, if we had been out of even the ECL, uh, I think it probably would have been more likely that if we sold Jacob, we just would have had Shamuradov as our starting striker. Like, I, I honestly think that that might have happened and that we would have brought in some like prospects and made it like a really half assed attempt to like cut the budget. Um, I think that when it comes to the rest of the season with ECL, we've got to try here just because when we did last season, we actually did do very well, as you know. I mean, we got to the semifinal. Uh, we did get steamrolled by Manu, but that was more just like writing on the wall about Fonseca, the end of Fonseca's tenure more than anything else. That was like just everyone knew it was over and there was just not that much trying going on. Uh, so I would say that if we're able to go, like it would be nice to win a trophy and I don't think the Scudetto is happening this year. Sorry guys. <laughs> uh, and I mean, I always would love the Copa, but I can never count on that anymore. I used to think that we were going to get the 10th, like what, eight years ago. Uh, and we haven't gotten it at all. And considering how much of a trophy drought we have right now, I don't think it's an option to look down on any 
of the competitions that we're in. So I actually have the opposite take of Jimmy on this one. Um, to start, I every time I watch a conference league match, I have nightmares about looking at my phone and checking the Spezia game score and seeing, and we're just inching ever so closer to an eighth place finish or ninth place and not being in the conference league. And then Mkhitaryan out of nowhere, because and it, I, I don't even think he had been like in good form at that point either. So it's like truly came out of nowhere. Um, and it's not like he hadn't already lost to Spezia in the Copa Italia, which is way more embarrassing to, than losing them in the last match of the season with almost nothing to play for. So Suffice it to say, I really have strong feelings about us being in the Conference League. Having said that, I also, <laughs> to nobody's surprise, I would be in favor of crashing out. I know that's not going to happen. We've probably won too many games already to even crash out. But um, the embarrassing result already happened when we uh, we lost 6-1 to Bodo. So I think, you know, we've seen other teams, um, you know, Inter comes to mind just, you know, saying forget it with these European competitions we're going to focus on the league. So um, I think, I think if you're looking from a, at it from a long-term perspective, it would be better off for Roma to continue to play in the conference league because this is a team with European ambition. So you need to get used to playing every three days. But if, you know, on the flip side of that, our, our goal for some time is, to been to get back into the champions league. So you really, I think, you know, would benefit from putting all your eggs in that basket. I don't know. I wish I knew the number, um, the, the dollar amount that Roma got for qualifying, because I'm curious as to like, if it's an amount that would have that, like that Mkhitaryan goal was worth it. Um, because as we know, we get astronomical numbers, um, for qualifying for the Champions League, but I'm curious as to how big that pot is with the with the Conference League. Um, so yeah, I mean, realistically, we're not going anywhere in the Conference League, and we're going to have to suffer through this um, for however long we go. But I think you know, if it were, if if I could, if I had you know a genie's lamp in front of me, three one of my wishes would certainly be: can we just get rid of the Conference League forever? Yeah, and funny you say that. I, I got thinking as Jimmy was talking about a possible supermarket, and I actually looked up the dollar figures for each competition in Europe. Um, and, and Inter, you're right. Like they crashed out of the Champions League in fourth in their group to avoid being in the Europa League because I guess to them the money wasn't worth the same. I think Milan's going down that same route this year, but at least by getting in the Champions League, they made some real money beforehand. So I don't have how much we got for actually qualifying for the Conference League, but, but get this. Each victory in the group stage pays 500 grand in, in euros. Uh, a draw is worth 166,000 euros. Um, if you win your group, you get 650,000 euro, uh, euros. And a runner-up, if Roma right now is runner-up in their group, is 325,000 euros. Um, the additional bonuses for being in the round of 30, you know, round of 32, 300,000 euros, 600,000 for reaching the round of 16, a million for the quarters, uh, 2 million for the semifinals. Um, and then a the little preview here on the, a little Wikipedia on my Google search cuts off, but you can see it's, it's not a huge amount of money. It's actually a very minuscule amount of money when you think about things in the grander like scheme of things in uh, European competitions. And then when I look at uh, Europa League is slightly better than that. You know, you win your group, you get 1.1 million. Uh, you get 2.8 million for reaching the semis, 1.8 million for reaching the quarterfinals. But to piggyback what Brandon was thinking, you know, if you could scrap conference league this year and it'll guarantee you a champions league place next year, this is last year's champions league monies. 
Um, so group stage, $18.6 million US. Um, each group stage win, $1.1 million uh, US dollars, $3.3 million US for a group stage victory. Not even winning uh, the, the group, just you know, winning a match. $11.6 million for reaching the round of 16, um, $12.8 million for reaching the quarter. So you can see that money is, is significant, you know? Um, so I don't know if money-wise, the conference league was a determining factor in us getting Tammy. I think more Mourinho being here and being part of the project, because let's be honest, a player like Tammy Abraham, if you're like, Hey, Tammy, we got the conference league, come play for us. I don't know if Tammy's going to turn around and say, you know what, <laughs> bring it on. Uh, Jim, I don't now, know. In my defense, respond, but... <laughs> in my defense, that's not exactly what I meant by saying ECL. Um, what I meant was that the idea of not having any European play whatsoever probably was going to make it harder for Roma to keep players if other clubs came calling. Like, I don't, I, I think it would be a whole lot more likely that, you know, Veritu or, you know, any, or anybody else who isn't like Roman would have been far more inclined to leave for if a, even a mediocre call came in uh, to, for a, a club that's, you know, consistently in even like EL or, uh, champions league like i think that if tottenham had rolled up and said like even though they're in the ecl like if tottenham had rolled up and said hey vertu we want to sign you and he probably would have said yeah i mean roma doesn't look like they're going anywhere even with Mourinho signing like we've gotten worse and worse each season that i've been here why would i stay and i think that Mourinho, where you're right did a lot of the heavy lifting when it came to getting people to sign for roma but if we had been out of europe entirely and like closer to mid middle of the pack than like Champions League spots, I think it would have been even harder to sign just about anyone worth a damn. <laughs> that, that's enough. more my opinion. <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying that like, oh yeah, we're going to love that 2 million when we win the, when we win the ECL. Like, nah, that's going to pay what? Like half, less than a half of one year's installments of Tammy Abraham's like transfer. Like I, I'm not pretending like this is going to be like a cash cow for us. But at the same time, I do think also just on a deeper level that this is a club that has won absolutely nothing in what over a decade now like when was the last time Roma won an actual trophy it was a Copa Italia I know was it like 07 I think it was 07 08 somewhere around there it's definitely over a decade I know the Lazio fans have plenty of memes of Florenzi holding up the bonsai tree exactly um. yeah <laughs> so I mean like it's been since 07 since we've won anything and Roma is looking more and more like the New York Mets of it of the Italian soccer world where like We've got a lot of prestige for some reason, but we and we have a lot of iconic players, but we haven't actually ever really won anything, you know, and we definitely haven't won anything in a long time. And if you want to get out of that rut, you have to start small. And I'm not talking bonsai small, I'm talking like actual competitions small. So like I've been hoping for years that we could win the Copa Italia because I think that that could be the kickstarting thing to get this club to actually believe in itself when it comes to winning matches. Like just having one trophy to be like, yeah, remember that time we won that? That's because we're good at this sport. Um, I think that that Roma really needs something like that. And I was hoping that we could win the Europa League last year. That obviously didn't happen for a lot of reasons. But if we're able to win the ECL, I think that that could actually like could help help the club develop some self-respect. Like we just, it needs some self-respect and that's, that's the biggest thing we need. And if, even if we just win ECL or the Copa, I think that'll be a step in the right direction. 
Yeah, I mean, I have to agree. We 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 need a trophy. I mean, <laughs> the bonsai memes are getting old, and, and they still keep flying around. Uh, hey, at least we beat Real Madrid to win the bonsai tree. We didn't like, you know, have to beat like Cesca Sofia. But uh, I was much more gung ho about the Europa League last year because I don't know, maybe just because the Conference League is this new like third tier competition. But Europa League would have been fun, maybe because we were going up against teams like United if we could have, you know, performed better in that match. But Roma apparently has a semifinal jinx in the European competitions and going to uh, going to the the island of uh, Great Britain there because uh, we, we remember what happened against Liverpool too. Uh, not not pretty stuff. I mean, Brandon, you want to weigh in on any of this? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thanks for reminding me of that Liverpool game. Um, the the that pass from Nangalan to the middle of the field right to I think maybe Firmino just flashed it across my eyes very very Vertu-esque really <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah I mean so I I take Jimmy's points I, I get what he's saying I think that the conference league would certainly do us some good in terms of getting some respect on the internet on a wider scale than just you know in Italy but at the same time um you know, it's very clear that the players that we do, you know, that were, that were here last year who played against IX and Man and Man U, um, they really cannot be bothered about this conference league stuff. And um, and that's and that's kind of the problem that you run into because you still have to play these games, but you have a, you have players that don't really like care about it at all. And um, I forget where I read it, but um, I saw something where like even. Um, that first game against Bodo Mancini like said something to himself. He's like, what are we doing here? Basically. Yeah. It was something uh, to the effect of like, this is the hell we get for the <laughs> season we had last year. Right. Which, right. To be that, fair is a hundred percent true. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's, so, the, that's the actual answer. But so it's like, what, like, I don't know. I feel like we're, we're stuck between um, our short-term goals and what we want for the club long-term. Um, but I think, focusing on this on the short term and just getting into the champions league would probably do us a world of good going forward and like going off of what jimmy was saying about the appeal of this club to um potential transfers based on whether or not we're playing in europe i mean we have Mourinho, which his star is not as bright as it was um you know five or six years ago but he's still the special one quote unquote um and we're a few years removed from a champions league semi-final and we can you know every you know you any any soccer fan sees Roma they instantly think of Pelti and De Rossi so it's like you know that that name that we have that brand um so I don't I don't think the conference league moves that needle too much either way I think the um the three things that I just mentioned probably have have would have more to do with bringing in players in the conference league but you know having said that I do you know I I understand that like we're we're starving for a trophy and this is probably as good an opportunity as we've had in a while um, to get one. So I think, you know, we're, we're not going anywhere in the conference leagues, but I think as we get to the knockout rounds and the, the idea of a trophy becomes more and more um, tangible, that we'll probably see a shift in attitude. And, you know, if we get to the quarterfinals of this competition, maybe Mancini's not uh, as, um, you know, downtrodden on playing these matches than he um than he was in Norway yeah I'm sure if they get further in the competition they, they run into a Tottenham in like the quarterfinals or, or something I don't know if teams from the Europa League drop down like champions drops down to Europa but I, I definitely think that would 
help motivate a bit. And the further you get in the competition, I think the more likely you'd want to like win it, you know, because winning a trophy is important. Like Jimmy said, we, we haven't won something in forever. It's, it's really hard to watch like Lazio win these Coppa Italias and these Super Coppa Italias and Roma hasn't won anything, you know, <laughs> they won about as much as the three of us combined recently. So, which is no trophy. So um, certainly frustrating. I mean, I, I think this was an important conversation to have at the end of the episode. It was kind of off the cuff. I, I, I enjoyed it hearing your opinions. Um, no football for Roma though, in the next couple of weeks, um, maybe a good thing. Probably. I think all of us can agree that this is this international break actually comes at the right time. I think the other one came at the wrong time. This one comes at the perfect time for Roma. It, it'll be disappointing not to see Pellegrini or Zaniolo feature for Italy because uh, there are some other injuries in the midfield to Barella and Verratti. So Pellegrini probably could have had a, a start against Switzerland in a very pivotal match for Italy. But in the long term, we, we do want him healthy for Roma. So that's you know important that he stays fit. Uh, Italy, you know, speaking of Italy, they play Friday against Switzerland to win their clinches uh, World Cup, Cup qualification. Uh, tough week, though, for the Azzurri. Like I mentioned, Barella, Verratti, Pellegrini, Zaniolo all withdrew today. Ciro Immobile withdrew, whether you value him as Italy's striker or not that uh depends but uh still really no striker for Italy at this point so it'll be an interesting match Friday uh we can keep an eye on Brian Cristante and Gianluca Mancini are still with the national side so something to keep an eye on there uh lots of other Roma players involved in internationals um Tammy Abraham got called again so those are some of the things to keep an eye on over the break um we're also going to be putting out a, a listener survey here for the podcast through the website. So keep an eye out for that. If you're a listener who, you know, follows the podcast, you can give us your opinions on what you like, what you dislike, what you might like us to see added to the show. And then guys, anything you're working on this week? That's the benefit of the international break. It kind of leaves us with the lack of material to talk about. So we kind of got to turn on those creative juices a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be writing something about brian reynolds my my favorite american currently in the squad for oh, as toby. roma he, <laughs> he's, he's, the he's, he's the number one american michael scott um yeah he's the number he's the number one american in as roma's squad right now uh i'm going to be writing about some loan options for him especially as you know some rumors have been coming out that we're actually pretty close to signing a uh new right back to play behind cars door I'm forgetting his name at the moment. He's like also a 20-year-old 20, 20 uh, right back. So, you know, that's just going to go great. Um, but regardless, uh, I'm going to be looking at some potential destinations for uh, for our favorite American uh, this week. So you mean Mourinho is not going to be starting him at right back anytime soon? I mean, I love it, man. I, I You guys know that I'm not a huge Carsdorp fan to begin with. I, I, I think that Reynolds should just be thrown in and see what actually happens if you show, show some faith. But uh yeah, it does not seem like Reynolds is long for Roma, at least for this season. I can see him coming back next season and, you know, staking a claim. But until then, probably not. Yeah. Mourinho so, will play himself before he plays Reynolds. <laughs> I'm surprised uh, Davide Santone wasn't called back or something after the way Mourinho was uh, railing on Trippi and, and Reynolds uh, in that presser. Jeez, poor kids. I mean, but that just shows how far Santone's fallen. I mean, he was Mourinho's golden boy like uh, a decade and change ago. So, um, and, and then a decade and change happened, man. <laughs> <laughs> Step slower and not as a shiny new toy appeal to him. But um, yeah, a lot, you know, I know Bren has his piece about the Roma shooting woes coming out at some point this week. Listener survey. We have got Jimmy's piece on Reynolds. I'm going to look into doing a player profile. It's funny you talk about Reynolds because I was, I was thinking of looking into Karsdorp to see if he's really been as bad as uh, we make him out to be sometimes. 
Jimmy's, um, favorite <laughs> Jimmy's favorite player. So it could be a, a, a good parallel, uh, not parallel, but contradictory piece to, to Jimmy there. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe Jimmy would send Ren- uh, Karsdorp away and, and keep Reynolds. But um, yeah, I mean, and then of course, you know, you get the rumors start popping up. I mean, yesterday I saw, we had posted on the site that, you know, Bodo's Eric Botheim linked to Roma. To me, seems like one of those things, hey, we played recently, the guy scored on us. Let's link them to Roma. Maybe they could use them for like fourth striker. I don't know, but uh, it's the international break. So enjoy all those rumors that fly around. You can't really take too many of them seriously. Keep a lookout for Jimmy's piece on rentals and uh, Brent's piece on the shooting and anything else that we come up with, uh, as Brent and Brandon said, with our creative juices. So anything you guys want to leave the listeners with? Uh, we do have a BVB coming out again. I know it's been a little bit since we um, broke up that installment, but Brandon and I are working on that. So that should be coming soon. Any idea what the topic is yet? Um, I think it's it's uh, just a, overall how the season's gone with, you know, kind of a little focus on the Venezia game itself. All right. Sounds good. Anything else from you, Jim? Keep the faith, guys. We're, we're, I, I still think that we have the potential for top four. Yeah. Keep the faith for sure. Thanks again for listening. Keep an eye out for the listener survey. And uh, we appreciate you guys listening after uh, a very tough loss this weekend. 